turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. When we accept and embrace the cross, what we're saying is our human wisdom is never enough. Our human power is never enough. But our God is all-knowing and he's all-powerful. And that's always enough. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. God is good in spite of our messed up lives. And that's really the message of the Apostle Paul who wrote to Christians in this city called Corinth. Corinth was a secular, worldly city, not unlike the cities in our world today. And Paul was trying to help them understand a simple principle. Here it is, if I could just sum it up. Your connectivity with God forms your identity in Christ, which should always fuel your activity for his glory. Just think about this. If I stay connected with God, I've understood my identity is in Christ. And as a result, I'm going to live for his glory. If my relationship with God is broken, if I'm not connected with him, And I'm not finding my identity in him. My activity is not going to represent him well. It simply is true. And so Paul was writing to a group of people who were not representing Christ well. They were finding their identity in all types of other things. They had lost their connectivity with God. And so he begins by reminding them who we were. We dealt with this last week. They were children of God who, in fact, could be called saints because anyone who has that relationship with Jesus is a saint in the eyes of God. But they had all kinds of problems. He began to deal with some of those problems. One of those problems was division. I think that that is one of the greatest tools in the arsenal of our enemy, Satan himself. He wants to divide. He wants to divide your family. He wants to divide your church. He wants to divide our communities. He wants to divide this nation. He's a thief. He steals. He kills. He destroys. But he's a defeated foe. And we remind him of that. But his divisive tactics often have impact in our lives. And so we have breakdowns in our relationships. Last week we learned this simple truth. Fault lines in our horizontal relationships always stem from fractures in our vertical relationships. So when things are not right with the people around you, that means somebody's got a problem with the one above us. Things are not right. Paul was dealing with this in the church. Some were saying, oh, we wish Paul was still preaching. Others were saying, hey, we'd rather have Apollos. Man, what an orator he is. Some were saying, man, we want Peter. Others did the Jesus juke, and they said, we wish Jesus could just preach all the time. 
but they were divided over style, over preference, over things that really didn't matter that much. And Paul was saying, you need to get back to God. In fact, the whole point of 1 Corinthians is a reminder of what they needed to get back to, the thing they needed to focus on. You could sum it up this way. The first step to getting right with God is beginning to understand it's not about you. And maybe you need to understand that truth today. Because that goes against everything our world teaches. Our world screams, hey, it's all about you. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Figure out who you are and what you want and then go after it. Get it. And yet, as Rick Warren said in the first line of that great book, The Purpose Driven Life, it's not about you. But that begs the question, if it's not about you, what's it all about? And Paul doesn't leave us asking that question because in verse 17, after dealing with that division, he says this, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. In other words, he didn't send me to develop a club. I love one translation. He says he didn't send me to develop a bunch of followers. And some of you, your identity is tied up in your followers, whether it's the clique you hang out with or the people that you feel like you can please or the amount of likes you get on Facebook. And he's saying, I didn't come to collect followers, I didn't come to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And in that last phrase, we find what Paul says we should be focused on. God's word says, it's not about us, it's about the cross of Jesus the Christ. And 2,000 years later, can I just tell you something? It's still about the cross. Say that. Say it's still about the cross. Some of the church's greatest hymns and songs through the ages have been about the cross. Maybe like this one. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, an emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. If you know it, sing it with me. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. Or how about this one? Years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not that my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me he died on Calvary. But mercy there was great and grace was free. And there my pardon was multiplied to me. And there my burdened soul found liberty. Where? At Calvary. Or how about this? Alas, and did my Savior bleed and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight and now I am happy all the day. 
And the favorite of so many of us, when I survey the wondrous cross by Isaac Watts, he says, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Paul was making clear it's still about the cross. That's his message, this man who wrote so much of our New Testament. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14, he says, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. It was said that someone asked that great British preacher, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, it seems like all of your sermons sound exactly the same. Why is that? And he said, because I just take a text anywhere in the Bible and then I make a beeline to the cross. I don't want you to be mistaken. As you open God's word, the message is clear. There's a scarlet cord, a thread that ties its way through from Genesis to Revelation. It's all about Jesus, the hope of the world, the one who saves, the one who gives us life. It all points us to the cross. So I want to do something. I want to pause and pray and then ask God to move in spirit and power and to redirect us wherever we are in life to the cross and to what that means to us. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we bow our heads, but most importantly, we open our hearts, our minds to you. Give us ears that would hear and an eye that would see. Lord, one of the mysteries we don't understand is that we can hear again and again and be deaf. So I pray that today you would open the ears of the hearers. I pray what I heard my daddy pray for many years as I sat under his preaching, Lord Jesus, hide me behind your cross. May my words be your words and my thoughts, your work, your thoughts. And may you, as we read in this passage, move in great spirit and power. We ask this in Jesus name. Amen. Before we get started, I want to ask you a question. And the question is pretty simple. Where do you stand? Where are you headed? That, that's something you need to ask. And it's, it's true because your direction determines your destiny. It's not your intent. It's not your want to. It's what's going on in your life. What path are you headed down? Your direction today is influencing your destiny. We see this in Proverbs. I opened my Bible early this morning and read the proverb of the day. It's Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12. It says, there's a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. You need to evaluate where are you? Think about that as you hear the Apostle Paul talk about two distinct types of people in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The discernment of the discerning, I will thwart. Paul says there's two types of people. This Paul, me, I say that to you often, every time we gather, every time you sit under the teaching of God's word, you're in one of two categories. You're either one who stepped across the faith line, you're a Christ follower, you're walking with God, or you're not. 
There is no middle ground. Paul puts it this way. There's the perishing and there are those who are being saved. The perishing are those who've not yet begun a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you do not have Jesus in your life, you are on a pathway toward eternal death. You are perishing. In a sense, we're all dying, right? Since you were born, you began that process of dying. We're at different stages along that journey. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're dying to live. You've been promised eternal life. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you're dying to experience eternal death, separated from him. So you're perishing. Just think about that word and the image that invokes in our mind. I think of one perhaps drowning in water, unable to save themselves. Someone burning in fire, miserably perishing. But what about those who are being saved? If you're not careful, this could be confusing. Last week, we remembered that the Bible presents salvation in three stages. We are first justified. When I trust what Jesus Christ did on the cross for me, I experience the justification of God. It becomes just as, I, just as if I've never sinned in the eyes of God. When he looks at me, he doesn't see me. He sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus the Christ. I've been justified. That's when I become a saint, believe it or not. I don't become a saint by doing all these good things. I become a saint in the eyes of God when I'm justified, when I'm trusting what Jesus did for me on Calvary that we sing about. But that's not the end. I'm being sanctified. I'm being transformed into the image of God. I'm not being conformed into the image of, wor of the world. I began to sin less. I don't become sinless, but I do begin to sin less. It should change my want to. If it's not changed my want to, then something's not right. I need to go back and ask, have I been justified? Because if I've been justified, I begin to be sanctified. And when I'm sanctified, I'm becoming more and more like Christ. So Paul says, you're either perishing... Or you're being sanctified. Because if you've been justified, you're going to be being sanctified. Now, we're not talking about it today, but there's a third stage, and that's when we're glorified. That's when Jesus returns as God's word promises, and we see him face to face, and every one of us stand before our God. Paul is talking about that stage of sanctification. You're either perishing or you're being saved. Which stage are you in? Maybe you don't know. So you have to ask the question, how do I know if I'm perishing? Well, in order to know that, you've got to understand the good news. That's what we call the gospel. The gospel means good news. But the reality of the existence of a gospel implies there is what? Bad news. So what's the bad news? The bad news is some of you are separated from God. You're perishing. You're not living in fellowship with him. And all we have to do is go back to the very beginning of the book to understand that. Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says after God created all that was, he chose to create man. And when he created man, the Bible says he created him in his what? Image. You were created in the image of God. God's design is that you are an image bearer. He created you to represent him by living responsibly for him and as a result to walk in right relationship with him. Now let me just tear that down for a second. You were created in the image of God. You were created to represent him on this earth. When people look at you, they're supposed to see a reflection of God. You are God's mirror. When people look at you, they are supposed to say, now that's what God is like. How does that happen? That happens when we represent him by living responsibly in our world. So for uh, Adam, it looked this way. God created him, and then he said, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to get to work. 
So he had all of this creation and he had a job to do. He had a responsibility like Miss Dorothy Richardson taught me in third grade. Responsibility means I have the ability to respond. So since I'm born in the image of God, I now have the image of God in me and I have the ability to respond in the way that he wants me to do. How do I keep doing that? Well, I keep doing that because I experience a relationship with him. For Adam and Eve, that was easy because they walked with God in the garden. So they walk with him and they like the song. This is my mom's favorite hymn. In the garden, I, I walked with him and I talked with him. And, and so they fellowship with God in that way. But then sin entered the world. And when sin entered the world, what did it do? It broke the relationship with God. So we no longer represented him well and we could not live responsibly. And the bad news is in that state, we're perishing. We're sinners. And the Bible says that the wages of sin, no matter who you are, the wages of sin is death. Perishing. That's the bad news. That brings us to the good news. But God demonstrated his love for us and that even though we were still sinners, Jesus the Christ died. See, the good news is the message of the cross. God created you to represent him by living responsibly for him as a result of walking in right relationship with him. And when sin broke that relationship and caused you to live irresponsibly and misrepresent him, he then made a way for you to get back right. And that way is found in the cross of Jesus Christ. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. Because Jesus on the cross did what you and I could never do. He bore the pain. He bore the suffering. He bore the sickness. He bore the punishment that we deserve on the cross. And so what Paul was saying is you're either in one of two categories. You're living, trusting what Jesus has done on the cross for you, or you're living as if you can handle it on your own. You're living being sanctified into God's image, or you're living perishing on your own. Which path are you on? And so about 20 different times, Paul uses several words to describe this in these two chapters, words like power and words like foolishness and words like wisdom, because what he's saying is, it's not what you think. He was saying to the Corinthian Christians, you think that the way to get this right is about what you know and what you can do. Now, what are those two things? My wisdom and my strength. That was the currency of the day. You want to succeed, it's what you know and what you can do. Little has changed in a couple thousand years, has it? So when we think about making it in this world, we think about 
the knowledge we gain. We think about our wisdom. We think about intellect and education. We think about influence and power and position and prominence. And all these things top our list. And we spend our time and we spend our wills trying to achieve these things. And in fact... We become addicted to the process. And even as CEOs and some of our leading companies are counseled, they're counseled about this tendency that leads to burnout because they're just addicted to this idea of achievement. If only I can achieve more. But whether you're a CEO or whether you're a janitor, we all struggle with these same things. We struggle with this worth in us because we're not finding our identity in Christ and we're searching to meet those needs in other places. And so we have struggles in our lives and habits that develop and hangups that keep us from being all that God wants us to be. And if you're not careful, when you take your eyes off the cross, these things will begin to flood your life. That's why I'm excited about one of the ministries that we've kind of rebooted here in our church. It's called Celebrate Recovery. And some of you know that that certainly has helped folks that deal with things like alcoholism. But I want you to understand every week when they meet on Tuesday evening at 7 o'clock, they're addressing other habits and hangups and struggles that you may have in any area of your life. And if that's where you are, if you've gotten off track and, and you want a community to help you get back on track, I encourage you. Even today, to, to make an appointment, to make a plan to be a part of that uh, this Tuesday evening right here on this campus. Because there is hope and there, there's help for you. And in the midst of, of, of that help is the power of the cross. And Paul was saying the cross doesn't make sense. It makes a lot more sense to think if, if I knew enough or if I had enough strength, I could do whatever I want. It's not the wise way. It's not the powerful way. It's simply God's way. So first thing I want you to do today is decide what's motivating you, what's fueling you in your walk. Or are you being guided by what you think makes sense by the way you want to go? Are you being guided by walking in the path of God? And to illustrate that, Paul quotes from Isaiah 29 and verse 14. That's the last part of verse 19. He says, it's written, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. What he's describing is a time in Israel's history when they were at it again. They were at a crossroads. How many of you have been to a crossroads in life where you had to decide whether or not you were going to trust God? That's where Israel was. The Assyrians were attacking them and God was saying, just trust me, do it my way. And they said, God, it doesn't make sense. They got more people. They got more power. They got more knowledge. How, how could we do it your way? And he's saying, just trust me. And some of the leaders said, no, I, I think we should turn to the Egyptians. The Egyptians, they have the power. They have the knowledge. They can help us. And guess what? They did. And so God says, you asked for it. You got it, Toyota. I, I'll thwart the wisdom of the wise. God will always level the playing field. If you want to try it your way, make no mistake. He'll let you. He'll let you go down the wrong path. But it will be against his will. It'll be against his proclaiming word in your life. Another example of this, we could go all the way back in the Old Testament to when the children of Israel were wandering through the wilderness. Do you remember that? They got snake bit. And some of you here have been snake bit. The things in your life have eaten you up and maybe some really bad things have happened to you. Maybe you've been a victim of, of, of abuse or of a crime 
or you've been in a setting that you in no way deserved and you're snake bit. And, and like the children of Israel, you're thinking, oh, there's no way I'm going to get out of this. And, and that's your focus. Well, in that setting, uh, God told Moses, hey, create this serpent up on this pole and, and have the people just look at the bronze serpent. And when they look, they will live. But if they don't look, they're going to die. And so Moses told them that. And you know what they said? I don't make any sense. I don't have an eye problem. I got a snake bite problem. Moses said, look and live. Imagine walking through that village there of the children of Israel and you come across this old guy and he's on his deathbed. He's about to make it. And you say to him, man, didn't you hear what Moses said? So what are you talking about? He said, you can just look to that serpent up on that pole. You look to him, you can live. That old man says, do you think I just fell off the turnip truck? That doesn't make sense. Why would I do that? That's not wise. There's no power in that pole. And then he dies. You walk across the village, you see a man about his age. All of a sudden, he's over there doing jumping jacks. You say, man, where do you get all this energy? He said, I I don't know. All I can tell you is I was about to die because I was snake bit. But then I heard him say, look and live. And I look and I'm living. That's what the Bible talks about. When it talks about God's grace, it's what we sing about when we say, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Or a newer song that says, when I think about the Lord, how he saved me, how he changed me, how he picked me up, how he turned me around, how he placed my feet on solid ground. It makes me want to shout because I recognize that things have changed because I looked and I lived. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910.